0: Hello and welcome to Code and Crack. This is the 10.1 OSS License Edition. It's your weekly technology digest from the team here at Terminus DB, where the crack is always Moorish. We break up the chat into three segments. Um, where we talk about something that we're really excited about um, internally. Uh, We talk about something, uh, some technology in the world, and then we talk about something topical. So this week we are going to talk about Terminus DB 10.1, which is a major-ish release, major release of Terminus DB Uh, bringing together all of the bits that have been put in since we brought out 10.0, which feels like a lifetime ago. Secondly, we will talk about the thermodynamics of garbage collection. And that's not the sort of garbage collection where people put things in incinerators. Uh, Rather, it is the place where you put data in incinerators. Uh, And then finally, we are going to talk about OSS licenses, a favorite topic of ours. I'm Luke Feeney, Uh, it's Friday, it's a beautiful Friday here in Dublin at least, I don't know about the rest of the world, Uh, and I am joined by the Prince of Prologue, Gavin. Hello, how's it going? The Royal Rust, Matthias.
1: Hello everybody.
0: The Duke of DevOps, Robin. Hello. The Tsar of Testing, Sean. Hey, and the Viceroy of Visualizations, Vivek. Hello. I love that little bit of alliteration there. It's great. Viceroy. All those V's. <laughs> Vivek, Viceroy, of Visualization. I just need to keep on going. Get victory in there. Just Vic- a little Get alliteration. Some. Just a li- vivacious <laughs> in there. Oh, vivacious! The vivacious, victorious Viceroy of Visualizations, <laughs> Vivek. <laughs> <laughs> I think we should have like a, a a data rap special where everybody has to come with a bit of a rap and kinda of do some beatboxing.
1: Uh, I think that's the week I'm taking <laughs> a week off. <laughs> there
0: you go. All right. So Gavin, what, what are we looking at, man?
2: Oh wow. Uh so I was trying to I I was just looking back through our release documents, our release notes. And if you go back to ten point oh like, we had a pretty big phase change because we introduced the JSON schema interface and JSON documents um, in TP T P And we, allows broke, us to, we broke
0: with semantic versioning, as everybody can see. Version yeah. 4.2.3 to 10.0. Boom.
2: That's right. Yeah, we just threw the semantic versioning at the window for that one.
0: It was annoying us too much. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and we're not shy about raising our, our version numbers there, as you yeah, can see. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, just the, the amount, like it's been a real process, Process, but like really a great process of adding to make that a really viable uh, database so that we, we can do the document graph. And that's, that's really about what we've been working on. And now I think we can kind of say, we got to a point where like we're at 10.1, we have something that's like less beta, uh, it's much more like you know, um, it's faster. So we've added a lot of speed. So you won't see too much in the way of uh, you know anything but performance out of that. So it's not a feature addition in that sense. But uh, it's faster now than it was. We had more speed in the wings that uh, uh, the brilliant uh, restation Matthias is working on. Um, but we added, we improved the CLI interface quite a lot, which is a lot to do with Sean doing. Yay. Some some real improvements on on the CLI, but other than that, there's like you know there's loads of stuff. There's cardinality. We we're going to be bringing out uh, raw JSON interface. We're, we'll have a raw JSON data type. Uh, there's um, loads of bug fixes and enhancements. We have patch and diff interfaces. We have an apply endpoint where you can apply a, a, a patch to a um, to a branch. We have uh, lots of streamlining in terms of like being able to use Terminus in your application. Like if you're trying to spin it up, how, how you do this sort of uh, authentication gateway stuff. We have one of, which is really quite cool. Uh, gives us um, disjoint properties. I mean, the the list is actually pretty, pretty huge. So um, I'm pretty excited about this. Nice. So that's basically what I was showing. I was just kind of looking back over it and, and like the test cases, I don't know. This file is probably a little bit too long. It should be cut up into pieces. And the most, I think, most of the file now is tests. But um, you know, I started going back trying to find out like where it was the 10.0 started. And like you know, over half this file is tests. But like something like uh, eight tenths of the tests are between 10.0 and 10.1. So that's pretty cool. What does that mean? Well, I mean, we've just uh, massively increased the coverage of oh, our yeah. tests and really increased the number of like the the uh, features that we have uh, to try to facilitate ease of use. Uh, it's really been a big, a big focus.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, and certainly the speed up and all that stuff that's going into this one is going to make ease of use a lot better as well.
2: That's right, yeah, because speed is actually a feature at the end of the day. you need You need speed. We all have the need for speed.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a feature. I agree with that. I agree that it should be treated like a feature rather than, you know, something separate.
3: Yeah, it's true. It's just uh, that uh,
0: performance can be... Don't leave us hanging. Is it me that disappeared or is it everybody else?
2: Essentially faster for ingestion and for exgestion, for getting stuff out. Extraction?
0: <laughs> cool. I think uh, nobody could hear me uh, for a um, second there. No, we couldn't. Yeah, so You're I think there's like something happened to my, uh, my um, system, so we're back now. So anybody that was hanging on our every words, we heard Sean do a (laughs) half sentence and then I pleaded with him to continue his sentence, but it was obviously (laughs) Did I do a half sentence? You did. Well, I mean, obviously it cut out when you were halfway through speaking about speed as a feature of performance. Okay. Yeah. But we, I think we got the message. Um, So what else, what else is there in 10.1 that we, um, that we should really highlight? Let's
2: see. I mean, what, what, what's your favorite feature in 10.1? Anybody want to jump in? Yeah,
0: go on. What do you think, Matthias? What's your favorite bit? Well, my favorite is You can is choose anything from 10.0 I mean, up to 10.1. I,
1: I, I'm happy with the ID capture. Um, oh, that's right. So that's, we now, when you insert a bunch of documents, you can actually make them refer to each other, even though you don't really know what they're going to be called yet. Uh, even though they, uh, don't exist yet. Like you haven't submitted them yet because they're later in your in your stream, but you can still refer to them and and like submit an interlinked graph that way. I think that's very nice.
2: It's super useful when you're trying to create a graph out of documents. Um, cool. So you can have forward references. You can say, Oh look, I have I'm I'm adding Bert and I'm also adding Ernie, but Ernie is a friend of Bert and Bert is a friend of Ernie. Uh, and I want to transactionally refer to each other, but they haven't been assigned an ID yet. How do I do that? Well, you can use an arbitrary reference and you get to just make up what that reference name is and it'll exist for the extent of the transaction. Uh, And you can do that with arbitrary graphs so you can connect things together however you like. Um, And that's, I think that's
0: pretty awesome. Yeah, very awesome. Uh, Okay, Robin, you're on the spot. What's your favorite feature?
4: since the id capture was already mentioned i would say the cli i think it's very nice to have a beautiful cli that people can quickly use without using some kind of app interface and the like
0: yeah i think that's very cool and i think for you know the git like stuff is very important for people to be able to do those features within the cli yes yeah, okay. so
2: clone push pull and I, in fact that's how i use it a lot so i figure you know probably other people will want to use it that way now and now that it's cleaner uh, and more robust. It's it's uh, it's a pleasure to use.
3: And now that we have uh, doc insert git, um, do I use those all the time now. When I'm doing something, I don't have to use the uh, REST API to to, to uh, do just a basic insert a document and then query it and test it and play with it. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's my uh, workflow.
0: Cool.
1: It's it's great, yeah. I uh, I'm very helped by it as well, and it's amazing how much you can do now, without ever starting a server. Uh, yeah, cool.
2: yeah. And I th- I think that's really a terminus DB superpower. Like you can interact with it with no server,
0: serverless mode. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Lambda functions eat your heart out.
2: That's right. <laughs>
0: And Sean, so they've stolen your CLI from you already as their favorite feature, Robin. Hey. He just jumped in there just before you got a chance to get the pulpit. Yeah, <laughs> so you're going to have to pick something else as your favorite feature.
3: Um, well, um, hmm.
2: I've got the slim pickings at the end. <laughs> <laughs>
3: ah, well, Vivek's going to be in real trouble. <laughs> It's not like a, a feature, uh that is one thing, I guess kinda of like performance, but I think um we've improved our robustness to um potential errors existing and potential errors uh significantly. Um I mean I'm not uh, I, I didn't I guess start out as a testing person, but I put a lot put a lot of tests there and uh fixed a lot of um um, error conditions, errors and things. So, I think it's uh, a lot more robust now.
2: Great, That's it, yeah. Robustness has is is definitely gone well. up. Yeah.
0: Uh, Vivek, get the last pick. Yeah. Yeah, you of get whatever's left one. over. What's left <laughs> over for you? Uh, I think the simplicity, but importance of a JSON different patch is something. Uh, which has been brought out quite well. Yeah, and people and, are using uh, it, or, or we suspect people are using the json diff and patch API as well. That's it. Yeah, and it,
1: it's something that you can start off quite easily and get used to, and it is very useful in a lot of aspects.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, if there is anybody out there listening who's using the json diff uh, different patch API uh, just directly without um, being in Terminus X or Terminus DB, let us know, because we're um, interested to hear about uh, use cases around that.
2: Yeah, definitely.
0: And th- there's definitely something happening there. It might be some of our testing regime, as Robin claims, but it might not be, too. Um, Great. So, um, I am silencing the others.
2: Why? Oh, when you talk, it, everybody
0: goes quiet, yeah. is it?
1: No, nah, it was just a bit ago. Oh. It's all good now.
0: And, uh, we're we're all right now, are we? Just...
1: No, it's, it should be fine right now, right?
0: I'm going to start silencing you. I've got new tools to silence people. <laughs> <that> unreasonable. Incorrect. <laughs> exactly. So you should know if your opinions are incorrect that you've been silenced. Oh, jeez, I forgot. My, uh, inference. That's actually
2: my... I, wow, yeah. yes. We <laughs> no, had an inference. How could you forget? I know. So here we are. I have my inferred uh, data type here, so I just put in name, Harry, occupation, hello, um, and it knew, and it figured out it was a person and stuck it in the database there. So, yeah, can't forget that one. That's kind of
0: cool. That is cool. Very cool. All right. Well, uh, that is all very exciting, and uh, I'm excited for 10.1 to come out next week, let's hope. Um, obviously... Between the jigs and the reels, they, there's an expression here in Ireland to say um, that there's many a slip twixt cup and lip. Um, <laughs> which means that, you know, when you're trying to drink, you could slip just before the liquid gets to your lips. So uh, That sounds you know.
3: sounds almost like um, a potential pepcac. You know what a pepcac is? No. Nope. A problem exists between keyboard and computer. Ah, running into a, a problem and it's not at the computer then it's you that's you're the pep cat <laughs> um, I, I, th-
1: I thought it was problem access between keyboard and chair
2: ah yeah, um, yeah,
3: yeah. yeah maybe
0: ah yeah. could be that there you go uh, oh yeah exactly it is a little bit like that but uh, obviously with software things there could be things that slow down the release but definitely within the next while t- 10.1 will be on your shelves ready to be downloaded and used so we're very excited for that okay so topic number two the thermodynamics of garbage collection so who's the garbage man
2: (laughs) 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 who's doing our garbage at the minute yeah Yeah, exactly
0: where is the garbage right now it's left on the street yeah exactly just strewing on the streets (laughs) what is garbage
2: yeah, that's a good question. So, how, how does how does so computers the way that we use computers we um, you have to allocate memory in order to work with some kind of data, and that allocation process um, is uh, complicated. Actually, it's kind of tricky because you have to remember where the thing is, uh, and then you kind of have to remember when you're done with it so you can get rid of it uh, when you no longer need it. And that process uh, involves a lot of work. So there's other things. So you might have to keep memory uh, about your memory. So you need some kind of meta level where you're seeing where the memory is somehow, unless you're very clever about operationally how you use the memory. And, and then I think Matthias might tell us a little bit about that uh, from Rust, because there are some clever hacks um, about the way you can do... do memory management so that you don't necessarily have to uh, keep an external uh, heap around or some kind of thing that l- allows you to track the number of references in some cases. In general though, like you're going to have to have some kind of meta information about your information. And this is like, it's, it's interesting, so the, there was a, a paper by Henry Baker about garbage collection in which he said it's uh, very much like a refrigerator uh, and it's kind of related to the problem of entropy and thermodynamics. And this has always really appealed to me as an explanation. And I've been kind of surprised to see it not come up very often. So I kind of wanted to to just kind of throw that out there and and, and have a little bit of a discussion about it. And what does he mean? I guess the idea is, right? So if something is very hard to, like if you have to keep a lot of information around, about where things are uh, it means that you have a high entropy and the process of cooling is is a process of like reducing the complexity of the system and you need to know less about where everything is so if you like freeze something down to a solid a solid has less information content than you know a gas where you might have to track the trajectory of every particle uh flying all over the place right so there's a there's a kind of a a difference there and a phase change even between the amount of information required uh to understand them when they go through the phase change from a solid into a gas so I guess like the the um the sort of uh, we have we have a very complicated world of memory management for us because we have uh lots of different levels uh, of memory management we have terminus itself and where we put the things the layers uh in the backing store and then we have um, Swipple, it's doing its own garbage collection uh, for memory that it it allocates, and then we have Rust, who has uh, other techniques, and and so I think it's kind of kind of a cool one to think about, you know, how our cooling takes place, how do we how do we reduce uh, entropy? So maybe uh, do you? Um, Matthias, want to tell us a little bit about the tricks that uh, that Rust uses to do this kind of stuff?
1: Uh, sure. It's actually not just Rust. Uh, C++ also does a lot of the same uh, tricks. Uh, and, I mean, it's basically just that uh, you declare ownership over objects. Uh, you have a variable that you pass around, uh, on the stack, as you call functions, and as those functions return, et cetera. Uh, and having that thing means that uh, you own the thing, and whatever it points at, uh, should not be thrown away. And as soon as that uh, like disappears from the stack, as, as soon as some function is not returning it anymore, or, uh, yeah, actually, as, as soon as that happens, then uh, you can run like a, uh, a cleanup function which then removes everything that's inside of it and yeah so that that sounds like a lot of work but obviously like standard libraries and stuff they implement a lot of types that basically do this for you uh, and it's it's pretty much automatic in that way uh, that said, uh, there are limitations to a strategy like that. Uh, so ownership, uh, especially when you start thinking about shared ownership, uh, where you have multiple owners of the same data that could be in different places in your code. Uh, at that point, uh, that's a situation where you could create cycles where like A owns B and then B owns C and C somehow owns A. And you actually end up in a situation where uh, none of it can get freed uh, because it always seems like there's still this one thing pointing at it, even though by by our accounts, it actually should have disappeared from memory. So it's, not, it's still not a silver bullet. Uh, there are still situations where you kind of have to be careful about it, but like, I would say 99% of the cases, uh, it's just handled for you. It's very nice.
2: That's very cool.
0: And how, like, tell me, how do other databases approach this? Like, do all databases have garbage collection or some of them just not bother?
2: So that's an interesting uh, question. So, like, it's interesting. My understanding is that um, uh, Neo4j had tombstoning of some of their deleted information and were never collecting um, in their Intel, I think it was about four years ago. And I yeah. think that they have introduced it since then. Um, but you, you can go, I so think they were just hit, growing, growing monotonically years, then. They were just growing monotonically. And now we generate a lot of garbage as well. Uh, so we, we are grow not, monotonically at the moment. We, we are monotonically growing as well. Nice. So we have...
0: We have uh, Get yourself a bigger <laughs> server. <laughs>
2: we, we have good answers to how we might go about doing the garbage collection, but we haven't... Uh, We haven't actually uh, done a lot in garbage collection. And there's multiple levels of garbage collection that you might want to do. So one of them is layer collection. Uh, And we're not... uh, So the the layer collection is when you're doing sort of a hypothetical transaction, you may create uh, layers that then are used, or you think you're going to use it and you're going to advance head, but it turns out that the head does not advance for whatever reason, maybe you have a conflict. And... Uh, we just leave that object there. And it's unreferenced from anywhere, but it's not collected. So um, we use succinct data structures. So luckily it's not huge, yeah. uh, but it, it, it has the potential to grow over time. So we do need a, a solution to that. And we're gonna work on that in the next phase. But then there's other kinds of garbage collection as well. So within um, the data that we have in a given instance layer, for instance, I have an example somewhere here of a um, JSON document. So we're bringing in the new sort of uh, free JSON documents, um, and it's possible to refer to a JSON document from two different places, and then you delete one of them in the transaction. And it's kind of impossible to know if something later in that transaction is also gonna uh, delete that. So we see that there's a reference, um, but we don't we say okay well we're not the only reference so we can't delete this now so it could become unreferred to uh in a subsequent at uh, by the end of the transaction and it would be nice if you then had a garbage collection step where you advance it one more time removing all garbage that's uh that exists in the database and in fact you could leave it for a while and do that garbage collection step later and postgres yeah postgres does that so they have a What's what's it called? Is it called the vacuum
0: cleaner? Explicit vacuuming. To yeah. make the uh, GC more deterministic.
2: Yeah, that's, that's right. So it's your the, problem. Uh,
0: comments. That's a comment in the stream, by the that's way, right. from someone else <laughs> entirely. It's not Great. me coming up with that. Let's be one hundred percent sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so it's, he, he says that it's a weekendable by the bloke who picked the shortest stick. <laughs> yeah i think
1: generally like that bloke is cool and it's it's just a task that automatically runs uh like every week or even every day i think debian installs like when you just install postgres on debian it's like a daily task that they also auto install for you
0: oh do they so it just yeah. comes as a uh, as a module or a function sort of thing well,
2: I think a lot of people just didn't realize that they had to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, yeah, yeah, they yeah. had to have something yeah. set up. And if you're like a guru of Postgres and you're like, no, that's stupid, then, of course, you already know that. So it's not a problem.
0: <laughs> okay, okay, interesting. So uh, garbage collection is in our future. It
2: is, yeah. Exciting. Um, multiple Multiple types. We already have two types. We'll have four types soon.
0: <laughs> four types of garbage collection really the fun and do we have any other points of view robin do you have any points of view on garbage collection
4: uh, not in particular i love uh rust's uh, lifetimes and borrowing and ownership but to be honest it also adds a lot of mental overheads so sometimes i don't think it's worth it and you can rather choose a language that has a garbage collection of objects instead
2: yeah, there's certainly a mental overhead and understanding borrowing. Uh, there's big wins in speed. Uh, Definitely. But, and garbage collection is always also not perfect. So they you have to use a conservative algorithm because you don't want to free up something before it's time. But doing it perfectly is not really possible. So, well, if um, you're
0: freeing up something before it's time, you're just stealing something from something in use.
2: Yeah, and that, not that's like segfault seg <laughs> yeah. territory, that's everything is falling over territory. Yeah. Very bad, <laughs> very bad.
0: Yeah, yeah, we used to get segfaults back in the day, but not since the rust. I haven't heard the word segfault in a long time.
2: Isn't that beautiful?
0: It is beautiful. Yeah. Those faults <laughs> back with HTT were special.
2: Oh God,
1: I see <laughs> them daily, <laughs> I'm sorry guys, uh... but in development I still see them quite a lot. Uh... Yeah.
0: God, you just don't say segfault in too many of your meetings, which we appreciate. <laughs> 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 They're getting squashed before they get to production. That's yeah. enough. No, for it's me. it's
1: yeah. it's actually it's actually not a the code There's there's this weird interaction. Uh, where if you recompile a module and then Swipple or Prolog engine has already loaded that module, it really does it like that, and then it crashes So if you often recompile the code while it's also running, uh, you run into the SAC so If you actually use Terminal you never.
0: Yeah. yeah. There's a question so there. I think that's for you, Matthias, in the, uh, in the chat. Do you use reference counting in Rust for immutable data structures? The ownership yes. system makes it really ergonomic to have data structures where a ref count of one is equal to mutability and uh, one is copy and write. It's less than copy so, and write.
1: So, um, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's pretty much all ref counting. Yeah, we use uh, we use ARCs, so atomic reference count uh, pointers, and that's like a better for passing around uh, objects in, uh, in Terminal CB.
0: Cool exciting. Uh, We can hear your cat meowing as well, which makes it double exciting. He cute. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. All right. Well, that was fantastic. Let's jump on to the final topic of the day, uh, one that always gets people uh, interested, which is open source licenses. Uh, For anybody who's not aware of um, our history, uh, we were good, uh, ideologically pure once and we have <laughs> fallen by the wayside we were uh, gpl version 3 and uh, we are now uh, apache uh, which is only slightly fallen by the wayside as oss licenses go but uh, we we the, the copyleft provisions we felt too many people raised it with us in the community and on social media that they were reluctant even if they didn't need to be reluctant but they were they felt they had a block by using um, GPL and that if they developed an application on the back of it, it would have uh, licensing issues down the, down the line. And therefore, we just took the decision to move to something super standard like uh, Apache 2.0. Um, so, you know, what, uh, wh- whether that's uh, necessary or not, I mean, there's definitely some other G- databases out there, but GPL gets a bad rep. Google bans um, the Afero license, for example. No products allowed with it at all. Uh, And lots of big corporates don't like GPL in general. Now, that's not necessarily a reason why you pick a license, but uh, you definitely do get people straight away saying, um, you know, there's just a bad smell here.
1: I mean, for some people, it's explicitly a reason to go for GPL because then all the annoying companies stay away. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's not us. Oh. Go seven.
4: Uh only a GPL is uh, banned by Google, right? I
0: do think they still use a lot of GPL software though. Yeah, well I, I mean they... they can't not use GPL because of, yeah, exactly. of Linux. Oh. So that's the yeah, it'd be that, pretty hard. <laughs> yeah, they're they... trying
1: very hard though to, to like swap out components uh, with like their own versions or an alternative from elsewhere uh, just to get as much GPL away. It's been a process that's been going on for a while Notice it in Android for example, where uh, even though like it's still Linux, like the kernel was Linux. Uh, like you, you know the thing where you say like it's not Linux, it's it's GNU Linux because there's all these GNU components, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Well, actually, on Android, it's not GNU Linux because Google has just replaced all of that with either their own components or or other stuff, which uh, is not GPL.
2: Interesting.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. But like, even saying that there's a problem with one type of um, of the GNU or GPL, um, it creates this emotional feeling and and we had it a bunch of times where people come in and they'd say um, they'd say uh, you know uh, I I feel like I can't do this and you'd say to them well no there's nothing in the license that's going to prevent you from uh, selling your software as a service to people once you've built something on the back of Terminus DB but the fact was that they were reluctant and were raising it with us as an issue because people had Um, you know, put the the chum in the water to say, um, you know, this is a a bad thing. And then there was guilt by association.
1: It's a bit of a nasty situation, I think. Uh, Yeah, I'm actually, I'm very much in favor of GPL. And uh, it's it's a shame it gets a bad rap. Uh, Uh, I don't think... I think there's kind of
0: advantages to different ways of approaching them though because the MIT as well for example has um it has advantages. You know it well, just certainly been... if you're
2: trying to I mean if you're trying to start a company on the back of the this thing and you don't and you want some proprietary parts it's a little bit tricky to figure out how to to manage that. So and there's there's kind of pressures in that direction. Yeah, but even uh, in, so in that scenario
0: it all yeah. depends what you're doing. I mean if the it MIT does, if you yeah. want to spread it as broad as possible but GPL could be useful if you're making something that's, you know, quite specialized. That's uh, true, yeah. And you know, I'd come across companies that were in any case just abusing the GPL. Yes, that's I very mean that just happens all the time. That's, you'd I need mean, uh, that you'd meet companies abuse how? Uh insofar as they would be um using GPL software. Um and altering it and not putting it back into source code. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. That, um, that happens all the
0: time.
4: Well, uh, you can alter it as long as your users have the source code. So uh, you don't have to distribute it to the whole world. You can just distribute it inside your company as well. If every employee, uh, yeah, but then the they'd be code.
0: selling a product that's based on it, and they wouldn't be telling yeah, anybody about yeah, the code. Perhaps that's a risk. Yeah, <laughs> and that was A happening. lot of viable meant,
4: GPL companies though.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, these are not open source uh, companies, yeah. these are closed source, very proprietary companies that would take um, databases, in particular and graph databases, I won't mention which one, um, but <laughs> they would take it and extend it for their own products and then sell those products onto their customers without ever releasing the code either way to their customers or back into the code base. And so, you so know, that be- that's exactly the problem that you run into with, uh, you know, your decision for GPL versus Apache.
4: Yeah, but you would have uh, your rights, right, with the uh, GPL uh, in court.
2: But uh, there's but now a nobody new ever goes to court. The... This is the problem. Yeah, nobody ever goes to thing. court. Yeah, it's really still actually kind of an open question. Precisely what you can get out of a court on it. Yeah. <laughs> that's <laughs> the, the problem. A new it's... license
4: by the European Union, and uh, uh, I think it's like very well tested to be like in compliance with EU laws and the like. Uh, to be like
0: usable in court, it's called EUPL. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. But who wants to have EU in their license? Like Jesus, <laughs> like getting them into your into your 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 bed. Because <laughs> there's a comment here. One of the issues is that with if you do have copy left, it means you'll also have to enforce it, which is exactly the point. Which in tor- yeah. which in turn requires lawyers, and de- devs would rather make a pact with the devil. Then bring a lawyer into their life. Not that there's much difference. <laughs> Berkeley DB, for as far as I know, used to make its money by offering paid non GPL licenses, which is definitely something you could do if you're sufficiently yeah. popular in the GPL that you could then say, "Oh, we have a uh, enterprise version with just Apache." <laughs> well, they, they, I mean, MySQL was doing that for a long time. I don't know
2: what they're doing right now, but they they were doing a dual license scenario where they had uh, two streams, right, and they were selling enterprise, the enterprise version. Yeah, yeah, but
0: that was like a proprietary enterprise version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a GPL? Are they still yeah. GPL? I assume so. I, can, I imagine, yeah. Even within Oracle, it's a weird one, isn't it?
2: Yeah, it's kind of amazing.
0: I
1: mean, I mean, if the base is GPL, you can't just decide not to be GPL anymore, right? You're well, that's a yep. really
0: good point. You you potentially, can. Yeah,
1: you can if you're like the, the copyright holder of like that's all right. that code. But for yep. project my like MySQL that has. Like decades of user contributions, I think it's
2: actually quite tricky. It would be tricky. Well, but uh, with Git blame, you do Git blame, find out every single line of code, and and then you just replace the lines that you don't want to. It, you can't get an agreement with the uh, copyright holder. So that's it is possible. Exactly.
4: That's pretty hard as well, especially with certain algorithms. How are you going to, to rewrite all the stuff? Uh, you already saw the code with Git blame, so.
2: It's, it's rare enough. To, you know. It's rare enough that an algorithm will be. I mean, yeah. I mean, you can, you can clean room most algorithms if you know that it's polluted in some way that you can't undo. And you'd be surprised, like the number of. I don't know. I did an analysis going over lots of different databases that are open source contributors, and the short list. Uh, you know, like I would say, 90% of. I mean, this is very back of the napkin, and it depends a lot on the on the um, open source database, but like 90% of the code is written by uh, between one and five people. Uh, And that's, that's pretty typical. And then there's small contributions by others. So like, even though there's, you know, you might have lots of contributions, they tend to be around the periphery and not in the core. um, And in like plugins and stuff like that. And they those contributions tend to be a lot smaller.
0: But that so, really depends on the on the software, though, no? For databases, it does. that's true. But like for lots yeah, it of does, other yeah. sorts of systems, you get like hundreds of contributors even into the code base, yeah. especially if they're like JavaScript front endy stuff. Yeah, that's true. You do, yeah, right? so, so definitely it would For depend. databases, though, you're definitely right.
2: Yeah. I mean, Reddit uh, uh, is just... I mean, Redis it has an guy. enormous... Like, one guy. Yeah. yeah that's one guy. guy. did it all, basically. Jesus yeah. Christ, man. He wrote, like, 95% of it. Then they chased yeah, him out of the company. <laughs> that's,
0: that's, that, that's what I heard. Wow. That's hearsay and conjecture. That's hearsay and conjecture. I didn't know what any <laughs> Just be lawyers...
2: already lawyers coming up to you there. I not Anyway, go look on Git and look at the commit history for, for Redis because it is extraordinary. Like that guy just wrote everything. Cool.
0: Wow. Yeah. So, Neo4j, for example, they had an enterprise version which was GPL. And. They are now suing one of the forkers of it because uh, he forked the enterprise code before they switched licenses. And he was Mm. offering it as um, Open Neo4j. He has some other name for it. Uh, And now they sue him and he's always tweeting at them saying, you know, you're suing me and there's these big long court proceedings. Uh, it, It seems like he's got a pretty strong case because it had a very uh open license when it was published and then they changed their commercial strategy and then tried to stop people from selling or using this version
1: yeah i'm, I'm not a lawyer but it seems to me like he got it under that license yeah. Yeah. Exactly. exactly so yeah. that still applies that they can't like yeah. revoke that license
0: yeah yeah
2: that would be my understanding <laughs> but
0: they but they they certainly you know they make it make life difficult for 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 that stuff when they make those commercial changes i mean MongoDB they were probably Apache 2.0 were they i I suspect I think because, they were Eve and GPL right yeah I think they were GPL and that yeah. and now they're server side license so now yeah. they've gone like a, not even an OSS approved license yeah
1: yeah that they they really felt like we we need to fight Amazon and then anyone was just taking a product and making a service out of it and making a lot of money without ever actually contributing that money back.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah. it was a purely commercial decision, exactly. And they, they they were being competed with by DocumentDB, which is AWS's offering. But now then they became, you know, frenemies, the classic frenemies, because they changed their <laughs> license so they wouldn't have to compete with or that AWS couldn't compete with exactly the same product, but then went and launched Atlas on AWS. So their uh, database as a service is launched on AWS, and they make more money from that than anywhere else. So they're making money for yeah. AWS as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's but this is the truth. The, imp- the, the yeah, infrastructure hyperscalers like, um, win.
4: Yes. Yeah. Uh, a total free software world even possible under capitalism. Like you have all these pressures to make things proprietary and the like. Is it even possible? Like Linux did a good job, but it seems to be one of the exceptions though. Like a lot of pressure is put on companies, organizations, people uh, to make things proprietary again.
2: Well, I think there's a lot of opportunity for the public. Like, there's so much use of products that are proprietary and closed source in uh, public administration, public, you know, services, state companies, that kind of thing, where really they probably should be putting more into public infrastructure. Like, we think of roads as public infrastructure, or rail as public infrastructure, or telephone lines or whatever. Um, but we don't, you know, they're not really thinking about code as public infrastructure in the same way, and they really should be, um, and I, I don't really understand, I think it's cultural, it's sort of a catch-up problem in some ways uh, ah, It's but commercial it as well be... though
0: oh, You're giving it away yeah, so much credit It's because they've got consultants writing the code yeah. for the government, and the consultants uh, yeah. want to keep optionality open to uh, sell on the code to multiple people, or even to the same person again and again rather than having to have release it so that others could use it oh but that's Uh, that's
2: a but that's across the board right so i mean that's not just happening in computers it's happening like in all sorts of public services where it used to be you had a state company that would do it and if you had a state company doing the software uh production it would make sense for it to be open source right because then you know you're it's a public good yeah and it's infinitely it's a non-rival public good which is kind of incredible you know i mean really yeah. should be a public good
0: yeah I mean I think uh, to be uh, brutally honest I think companies like ours like Terminus DB um, muddy the water of open source a little bit commercial open source or, or open core um, it, you know it, it's more it's often and in our case obviously we're pure of heart and mind and body and soul but others unspecified others they do it just to uh to to astroturf and to um uh to, to gain commercial advantage and therefore kind of take some of the excitement out of OSs yeah. i was talking I'm to the I'm guy the from washing yeah yeah <laughs> uh, cuz i was it's talking the to washing. the guy from um, rocky linux recently which is the centos um uh clone um and he was saying that you know what he did first when he set up the company, and he's got like a company that's a Red Hat model. It's called CIQ, um, and they just offer support on top of uh, Rocky Linux. They don't do any uh, any proprietary stuff really. Um, but he he was saying that what he did first was set it up in a separate foundation, so it was very clear that the you know the code base existed entirely separate from. Um, from the company, which is often not the case, that it's just kind of controlled, you know, internally. And then he also said that when he did it, like the excitement that he had from younger coders and programmers was amazing. People that hadn't been around during the 2000s when there was a lot of people working on Linux and there was a lot of energy in Linux communities. Um, he, He said it was amazing because a lot of these people hadn't really been exposed to... Um, open source of that kind of kind of mass open source and, and I mean I suppose the only corollary we have of it right now is uh, Web3 which I know Robin loves but at least there's a lot of excitement in there <laughs> so what do you think you, uh, Vivek you just
1: have to bring it up didn't you yeah
0: of course I have to get it in every time I've got to prod Robin with his, uh, his Web3 dislike every single time <laughs> <laughs> uh, what do you think Vivek a bit but I want to understand a little more about these copy-left software licenses, and specifically, like, does nobody use Mozilla like Public License 2.0 anymore? Because nobody has been speaking at all about like it's, any alternative licenses.
1: I think it's being used heavily within the closure world, actually. Like that's the go-to license for closure project. Or at least that was the case a couple of years ago. But yeah, that's that's one ecosystem. I don't think it's widely used. Major problem with the public license, I believe, is just that it's incompatible with GPL. Um, yeah, so the sta- standard hierarchy is like GPL if you want to be copyleft. LGPL if you want to be a little bit copyleft, but not too much. And then Apache 2 if you don't want to be copyleft. Because like all of those can be used in... Uh, like the other one, like Apache can be used in GPL. Um, so if you want to do that kind of conversion, you can. But with MPL, you, you can't. MIT oh, is yeah.
4: pretty popular it, as well. Actually,
1: right? sorry, no, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. It's not MPO. Uh, <laughs> Clojure uses Eclipse public license. It's an entirely different mm-hmm. thing.
0: Ah. Yeah, well, but it's because it of the patent clause here, somebody says. Go ahead, John. It is
3: a bit uh, strange, since Matias brings it up, that I find different development Uh, communities sort of have their traditions it's like some people get it started and other people just kind of copy it and like uh, copy haha Uh, and then uh, Rust uh, libraries you tend to see Apache and MIT uh, dual license in Haskell it was mostly uh, GPL um, I forget what the non-GPL people used and then uh, Matthias saying in Clojure, people tend to use another license. Um, I'm sure there's something in Python. It's probably mostly GPL. But, Did uh, that, didn't
1: Pro have like that artistic license thing?
3: Yeah, that's so, right. What? <laughs>
0: <laughs> nice.
3: Nice. So it's like each language community and development community and JavaScript. There's Well, it depends on which framework you work with. They've got their own different traditions there. So there's certainly a cultural aspect to these.
0: Yeah, Definitely. interesting. And we have a comment here. As devs, we should strive to build robots that do the farming for us so that we can get <laughs> to post-capitalist Star Trek utopia. Maybe Sounds we should nice. put that into our licenses.
2: Definitely. I think we definitely we, should. We require I think, all users to be moving in that direction.
0: <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> I think we, as long as we can get the uh, OSS stamp of approval, then we're golden. Um. <laughs> Yeah, so, I don't uh, think that kind to give that to proof. We can join forces with MongoDB and all the server-side licensed people to try and get it over the line. They're not open source. <laughs> MongoDB is not open source. Anybody who uses server-side, not open source, I'll just leave that leave that as our final message. And thank you very much for joining us. It's been another fantastic episode of Code of Crack. We will be here again next Friday. Uh, so, thanks for joining us and have a fantastic weekend wherever you are. Say goodbye, everybody. See you bye. Later. bye.
4: Bye. bye.